What's up, coaches? Welcome to Keep Your Pads Down, the podcast for the men in the trenches. And let's go ahead and address the obvious. My voice is shot, not because I've been yelling at kids all week, but because we are in that time of year in the South, especially here in East Texas, when everything, and I mean everything, is covered in that just layer of powdery yellow pollen, uh, which consequently has been wrecking shop on my voice over the last couple of days. Perfect timing too, right? Like, you know, obviously have a podcast that we do every week. And then this happened to be the weekend of our virtual defensive line clinic, which I was uh, sort of hosting and emceeing. And so that, that really made things kind of difficult for that, that clinic on Saturday, but Hey, players play and the show must go on. So here we go. Uh, this is episode number 99 and our second installment of our fourth and one episodes which I'll talk more about in a second. But first, I got to go back and tell you about this past weekend. We had an awesome virtual defensive line clinic on Saturday. And and if you like what you hear on this podcast each week, then you got to go check it out. Uh, We we kick things off first at at, at 10 a.m. with Coach Ike Egwai from Fort Hayes State. Uh, He talked about slanting techniques. And then he was followed by Katie High School defensive line coach A.J. Blum, who talked D-line fundamentals and drills. I got a lot of great stuff from that one. Uh, Next up, we had Coach Josh Aldridge from Liberty on to talk about pass rush, uh, followed by Baylor's defensive line coach, Dennis Johnson, who talked about D-line explosion. A lot of great drills in that one. And then we capped things off with Toledo defensive line coach, Larry Black, who talked about defending the run game and some drills that that the Rockets do uh, in order to help with that. You know, I want to shout out Coach Aldridge and, and Coach Johnson and Coach Black, especially because they literally walked off the practice field uh, Liberty even had their spring game on Saturday. Uh, literally walked off the practice field to do this clinic for us. So once again, really appreciate those guys and their willingness to share. And I also want to thank the guys who joined us live on Saturday as guests. They asked some great questions, and 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 I really appreciate those guys coming on and hanging in there with us for the entire time on Saturday. And finally, I want to thank uh, Pat Coran at Our Coaching Network for putting that on and making that clinic possible. So if you missed out on Saturday's clinic, have no fear. The entire clinic is up and available for you to watch right now. Thanks, my man, Pat, at Our Coaching Network. So if you'd like to check out our D-Line Clinic from this past weekend, then head on over to Our Coaching Network through the link in today's show notes or in our Twitter feed and sign up. Memberships are 15 bucks a month, and you can cancel at any time. Not only will you have access to our clinic this weekend, you'll also have access to the outstanding clinics that Our Coaching Network puts on each week and the ones they've already put on, Uh, So go sign up today. It's a tremendous value and begin learning from and connecting with coaches from all across the country with our coaching network who happens to be sponsoring this podcast for season three. Now I also want to take a moment to shout out our other sponsor for season three of KYPD, which is our friends at go edit graphics. I don't know if y'all have noticed, but being able to create graphics to promote your school, your, your athletic program, and, and really even yourself on social media and within your community has, has become the expectation of a lot of places. And maybe you have no idea about how to go about doing that. Well, you're in luck. GoEdit Graphics has you covered. Now, what GoEdit Graphics does is allow any coach to create custom graphics in minutes by changing the colors, text, and images to make it their own. They offer categories like game day, scoring, uh, player profiles, and communication, to name a few. You need a Twitter banner for your profile? They got templates for that. Need a way to let your community know about the score of last night's ball game? They have a template for that. 
The platform is easy. It's affordable. No design skills are needed. So if you're looking for a way to promote the awesome things going on in your athletic program, then the team at Goeta Graphics has got you covered. Subscriptions are for 12 months and include unlimited graphics. And here's something else that's cool. Mention keep your pads down or receive $25 off your showcase yearly package. Go check them out on Twitter at Goedit Graphics or visit their website through the link in today's show notes to see examples of the awesome graphics coaches have already created or check out our Twitter feed for other examples as well. Showcase your athletes with custom graphics in less than two minutes with Goedit Graphics. So as I mentioned already, today is our second installment of a series of episodes that we're calling our fourth and one episodes, where we bring on guests who tell stories of adversity and redemption. Uh, we had Al Robertson on about a month ago, and he talked about you know overcoming a dysfunctional childhood, battles with drugs and alcohol as a teenager, his marriage almost breaking up, and you know how he's grown from those experiences, and now how he ministers to others uh, who are fighting the same battles that he overcame. Uh, anyway, today. We are talking with Alex Ruiz. Now, Alex is currently a sophomore at the University of Southern California. And, and the reason why we're talking to him today is because he has a powerful story of a young man who endured a horrific injury that changed his life forever. Now, Alex played quarterback at Linfield Christian High School in Temecula, California. And in 2017, he was a junior and primed to take his team on a run into the playoffs and was even beginning to get some attention from college recruiters. And then one Friday night on the 15th play of the game, Alex's life was changed forever. Now, I first heard about Alex's story a couple months ago when his high school head coach, Deshaun Burns, who, who was a guest on this podcast last summer, uh, tweeted out the story that ESPN did on Alex uh, and his injury and his recovery. And after watching that, I was blown away and knew I wanted to get Alex on the podcast and have him tell his story to you guys. Uh, by the way, that story, that ESPN story is available in the show notes of today's episode, and it's up on our Twitter feed. So if you want to watch that after our conversation today, I would highly recommend you do that. Uh, anyway, we're going to go ahead and dive right into our inspiring conversation with Alex today. So here we go. Here is Alex Ruiz on episode number 99 of KYPD. Well, Alex, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us and for being willing to share your story with us today. Of course. Thank you for having me. Well, man, this is our, our second episode in a series of episodes that we're calling our fourth and one episodes. And, and basically, these are our stories of you know, adversity and redemption. And you definitely have one of those. So before we dive into your background and get into your story, uh, tell, us about, about, tell us a little bit about where you are currently. Yeah, so currently I am a sophomore in my second semester here at the uh, University of so uh, Southern California, also known as USC. Um, people often get that confused with South Carolina, but fight on. Yeah, so I'm studying sports journalism. Uh, well, I have a studying journalism with specifically focusing more into the sports journalism and trying to, trying to get that under my belt. So I finished all my GE classes. I'm really just focusing more on my major classes right now. So hopefully get that, get that going soon. Now, are you guys back to like being on campus or is it still all uh, via Zoom? Uh, it's California, so you can take that as it is. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. We're, we're, still, we're still on Zoom. Uh, they're talking about reopening campus for uh, next year or next semester. So hopefully in the fall, we'll be back on campus and 
back to somewhat normal life. Well, I did see that they do have, or they, I guess they are starting uh, high school football that was playing the spring season uh, over there. Is that is that right? Yeah. So I know uh, Linfield, they have their first game this Friday, uh, my old high school. So I know, I don't know about any other um, schools just because like it's private, but I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Well, cool. Well, let's, uh, let, let's, let's talk about your childhood a little bit and just how, uh, how your love for football began. I know that you were uh, and seeing your story that, that ran on ESPN, that, that you were kind of been a, a lifetime fan of football. So tell us about that and how that all began. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm the youngest of four and I have two older brothers and uh, an older sister. And I grew up watching them play football constantly. Um, I mean, we were just practically a, a sports oriented family, whether it's soccer, whether it's football, whether it's baseball. And I always were at my my siblings games and just watching them progress throughout their um, high school years and watching specifically more of my oldest brother, Nico, go to Linfield and play football for them and play baseball for them. It really pushed me to like, OK, this is kind of something I want to do. So ever since I was in diapers, I always had a ball in my hand, just throwing it around and trying to trying to learn from from my older siblings as much as I could. So what was it that drew you to football specifically? I think football is just a unique sport compared to all other sports, especially uh, the position that I chose to pursue being quarterback. Um, I think it was just the camaraderie of the team and just kind of the life lessons it, it gave to you. I, I remember going in, I think my first like rude awakening of football was uh, I was just transferring into Linfield. So I was going into seventh grade and coach Burns let me practice with the, the football team, the high school football team uh, over the summer. And I think I went to maybe two workouts and I couldn't walk for about three weeks and just hearing him in my face as a seventh grader yelling at me to keep going. I was like, okay, do I really want to get into this? But ultimately I was like, okay, this is obviously something I want to do. And just the, the lessons that coach Burns taught me and all, our entire coaching staff, like I knew that this is gonna be this is gonna make me a better man in the end, and it's gonna teach me more things that any other sport could really teach me. Yeah, you mentioned Coach Burns, and he was a a guest on this podcast uh, back last summer, and really enjoyed our conversation with him. And that's kind of how we uh, how we uh, you know the, our connection. Uh, but you talked about you know you played quarterback, and was that always a position that you played, and what drew you to that position specifically? Uh, honestly. I've always played it from growing up, whether it was in the street, whether it was flag football, whether it was junior tackle, middle school, all the way up until high school. And I just knew that if, I don't know, I'm kind of, um, how do I put this? If, if the game's on the line, I want the ball in my hands and I want to be able to make the decisions. Uh, I'm, I, I like to make that decision for the best of my team. And I like bringing guys together. And I feel like I did that in a really good job. And I was really football minded, I guess. And I really love to learn the game of the, or I really love to learn the game of football. So ultimately, how else do you want to learn it by being a quarterback? Like you have to know everything about the entire team, whether it's offense, whether it's defense. Then I played linebacker also my uh, junior year. So seeing both sides of the spectrum, I was able to decide like, okay, like quarterback, this is, I kind of felt like I was like drawn to it more than it was drawn to me, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Where do you think that, that sort of, um, you know, one, that, that, that ability to, um, you know, play under pressure and perform under pressure and, and, and actually desire that, where did that come from? I think that came from my parents, like just growing up, if I wanted something, I had to earn it. And I think they really instilled that, instilled that into me at a very young age that 
nobody's gonna hand things to you. Like you have to take it for yourself and you have to work for it. And I think being a quarterback, it's just as much physical than it is mental. And I loved pushing myself to my breaking point in both of those aspects of life. Growing up, who would you consider to be some of your biggest influences? You talked about Coach Burns. I know he was one, but who else? Uh, my biggest influences growing up, I'd probably see. I'd probably say my parents, just because um, they sacrificed so much for me to be able to go to a private school for as many years as I did, and seeing their work ethic, whether it's not even on a field, but being able to translate the real world work ethic that they put on me and being able to see how much they worked for us to have what we had. I really wanted to give back to them in a way of giving it all my all within sports and sports wise. I think I looked up, I looked up to Drew Brees a lot. Just, I would sit up on hours and hours of YouTube when I shouldn't be up because I have school, but in just watching like highlights from like college to when he was on the chargers and then ultimately like the saints, I would, any, any video that was made about him, I would, I would find and I'd watch. So now you, you, you get into Linfield, uh, you, you're playing, playing quarterback for your high school there. Talk about what that was like and just, just being the quarterback of a high school team. Not many guys get to experience that. You know, most people, when they start playing football, they, they want to play quarterback. A lot of people do, but very few actually get to carry that out and be the guy at their school. So uh, talk about what that was like as you started getting older and, and sort of assumed that starting position. What was that like? Yeah, it wasn't easy by any means. Um, my freshman year, we had four quarterbacks. We had uh, Lorenzo, Coach Burns' son, and then we had uh, a junior, a sophomore, and then me. And so we all competed. And I was lucky enough to even touch the field my freshman year on varsity, which I was blessed to do. And I was able to to show that okay, I really want to do this, and I was I'm, I'm capable of doing this at a young age already. Uh, and then coming into my sophomore year, we had another four-way quarterback battle with a, another senior, a sophomore, me, or junior, me, and then a freshman coming in. And there was times that we butt heads and we hated each other and we would fight over the stupidest little things. But ultimately, like we pushed each other to be the best that we possibly could. And just seeing from my freshman and sophomore year how much you have to compete to be the starting quarterback and how much you have to want it and and push the people around you and be that leader on the field, whether it's vocally or by actions. And then, so ultimately, like I beat all of them out. One kid and uh, the freshman ended up transferring and then the junior ended up quitting. And seeing both of those just kind of happen within a few weeks of each other of like these people, I don't want to say aren't willing to compete, but didn't have the drive to like stick through it. Cause you never know what happens through a course of a season, like whether like it's the senior that goes down or whether it's yeah, me that goes absolutely. down, you're the next guy up. Right. And so I kind of looked at it as if I'm going to get the starting spot, I'm going to get the starting spot. But if not, I still have to showcase my talents, whether it's on the practice team. That, that's a rare quality to have, especially with the prevalence of, you know, of the transfer portal. And we're in the days of where if you're not happy, then go somewhere where you can be happy. So that's a rare quality to have and really a maturity uh, for you to have um, that a lot of kids, and I would say kids, but a lot of people, young people don't have today. Yeah, I think a lot of it had to play with, there There was times that I'm not going to lie, like I wanted to give up, but it wasn't an option in my family. Like my mom said, you committed to this, like you're not going to give up on it, you're going to work. So, I mean, I have to partially give her the credit of of pushing me to to still compete. So then your first year as a starter, was that your sophomore year? Yeah. Okay, so your sophomore year, 
you start. Uh, talk about that season and what that season was like being a first-year starter on your varsity team. It was, it was different. Coming off my freshman, my freshman season, we had a great group of seniors to kind of lead us in the right direction and show us what Linfield football is. And it was a very talented team, and we ended up going to the CIF championship. And just being able to witness what that's like, it made me eager to like get back there as soon as possible. And I think that's everybody's goal is to get back to that position to, to win a championship. But my sophomore year was completely different, completely different group of guys, completely different um, relationship with the seniors uh, and just the entire team. It was, it was a struggle. Uh, it wasn't the best of seasons. We, we could have, I think we were very talented, but we didn't glued together very well, which was a very hard thing to get past looking back on it now of seeing how much talent we had on the team and how much opportunity we had to, to go the distance, but we just couldn't get it done. Um, and it honestly, it hurt a little bit from my perspective being the starting quarterback. And it's my first season playing an entire season as the a starting quarterback and we didn't perform as well. And you kind of walk around school with your, with your head down after uh, the next Monday after losing a football game. And it's kind of like after the games, everyone's come take pictures and you're just kind of like, no, I don't want to talk to you. Like we just lost a game. Like, don't talk to me. But it was, it was a great uh, learning experience. It, it made us, I, especially like my class from freshman year all the way to senior year, we were very close. And we had a lot of meetings after that season of like, this is not going to happen again. We're not going to get embarrassed the way we did. And it wasn't a terrible season. We still made it to the playoffs, but we, we lost in the first round and it just wasn't, it wasn't good enough for us. And so we had a lot of meetings, my class ourselves, and just kind of like put goals for the next season. And then obviously like our senior year of like, we are going to work in the off season. There's going to be no more of this uh, off season workouts of like canceling. Like, Oh, like I got this to do. I got this to do. Like, no, like we're taking this serious. We're not going to let this happen again. So you heading into your junior year, that was 2017. Uh, I, I'm, I, I'm assuming that that was kind of a year you guys are thinking like, this is, this is going to be the year we get things turned around. So talk about how that year started out. And then of course, um, what happened that, that, that year? Yeah. So, I mean, my junior year, I mean, it's, it was a lot different because the game really starts to slow down to you as you mature. You, you're able to see defenses a lot more. You're able to just kind of have a feel for the game of it's a lot more slower. Like freshman year, you're kind of looking around like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get killed out here. And then sophomore year, you kind of get your feet under you. And then junior year, it's like, okay, like I'm ready to go. And so my junior year, I was still in a quarterback competition. Actually, uh, we had a kid transfer from another school and we throughout my entire high school career, I don't think we really had um, like, I don't, I don't think I had one year that or two years together with the single, like one quarterback coach. So I was constantly kind of bouncing around. I think coach Burns was my quarterback coach my sophomore year. And that was rough to say the least, but um, we butt heads a ton, but my junior year, this kid came in and I ended up not starting uh, week one. And that was kind of a, not a shot. Yeah, it was a shot to my ego. I can be honest. It was a shot to my ego. Uh, just kind of coming in, like I played my entire sophomore year. We got a new quarterback coach. I'm like, okay, well, I played all my sophomore year. Like, I don't want to say I have this under wraps because nobody has their job secure ultimately. But I figured like, this is still my team, you know? And so I ended up losing uh, the starting spot week one. And it kind of went to like, okay, he plays the first half. I play the second half. And so it went all the way like that up until I think it was like the third week of our season. They pulled him like halfway through the second quarter. And I kind of looked at that as, okay, like if I'm going to take the job back, it's right now. And so we were playing Mary star of the sea 
and I had a, a good game. And finally, I, I remember this. The quarterback coach walked up to me after the game and said, the job is yours. And I looked at him. I said, I know. And so, I mean, from there, I played a couple more games and ultimately I ended up getting hurt. So. Okay. So I, I just had to imagine when you're going into a season where you kind of, again, you don't want to ever assume things, but you sort of kind of have your, in your mind, like I'm going to be the guy. Uh, and you have to go through that, that, that quarterback uh, competition. And then this, this kind of yo-yo of, you know, I'm, I'm playing a half and I'm not playing a half. And then, and then for, to go through all that. And then now you, you, you get your, you get your spot back and now you're the guy. And now you kind of probably feel like, all right, now we can get rolling here. You know, I'm the guy that's, you know, I'm kind of steering the ship. And then you guys go and, and you play, uh, remind me of the team name. Um, I know we, we talked about it before. Uh, Ontario. Ontario. That's right. Yeah. You guys go uh, and play them on the road. And, and that's when you get hurt. So talk about that night. I think it was our first league game. So it was, it was probably our fifth, our fifth game. And for some odd reason, I knew just from stepping on the field in, in pregame warmups, I kind of like had like a weird feeling about the game. I looked to one of my friends, Cooper, and I said, I kind of have like a weird feeling about this game. And he goes like a good way or a bad way. And it's like kind of a bad way, but I don't want to like put that into the universe. And so obviously like the game went on and it was the first quarter and we had just converted a fourth and one backed up on our own, our own goal line. And we got out of the situation where it's the 15th play of the game. We're on like the 50 yard line or something like that. And I decided to keep a read option and looking back on it now, I definitely should have given the ball um, just based off of the read, but I decided not to, everyone makes mistakes, but I ended up, keeping the ball. I got hit by one guy and kind of like spun off and threw him to the ground. And as I was spinning, I got hit by two more guys in my back. And as I was going down, I realized that the guy was still on the floor. So I went to step over him with my right leg and I hyperextended it. And my fleet, I could feel it just like catching the grass and it wasn't going anywhere. And I remember falling forward and hearing a loud pop. And I didn't know at the moment if it was me or somebody else, but I knew like if it was me, like I kind of just figured like, oh, I may have like broke my leg or like tore something. And I remember laying on the ground and it happened so fast, but so slow in my mind. And I remember looking and seeing my legs still right next to me. And I kind of like freaked out like this should not be here. And I remember flipping over on my back and I grabbed my leg at the femur and my leg just went like this. And my right foot was almost touching my left shoulder. And I practically like lost my mind at that point. Cause I've never, I've never really suffered an injury, but before that, I think I've had like two concussions, but nothing like seriously wrong with me that would keep me out for like a long period of time. And I remember coach Burns being the first one to me and he like threw my head back down. So I wouldn't look at it anymore. And uh, I ended up dislocating my knee and later found out uh, that I tore an artery that supplies my lower leg with blood flow. And they didn't really catch that in time. So, okay. So let's, let's, let's unpack, unpack that. There's yeah. All, because, you know, guys who are listening to this coaches, you know, who've, who've coached the, the, the game and, and played the game, you know, we've all been injured or been around horrific injuries. And I think that, you know, for those of us who have experienced those type of injuries, you know, you usually do know, like when it happens, like you talked about, you heard a pop, you hear a crack, you hear something like, you know, okay, this is going to be bad. When did you realize that this is not, not just a, you know, a torn ACL, this is not just a broken bone. Like this is something more serious. Uh, to be honest, the first words that were out of my mouth 
well, not the first words, but when Coach Burns and I were talking, I kept telling him, like, this is a dream. Because I've always had dreams of me getting hurt for some reason, but uh, I remember looking at him just, like, repeating, like, this is a dream. And he finally looked at me dead straight and just said, like, this isn't a dream. And then following those words, my first words were, like, I'm never playing again. Like, my first thought wasn't, am I going to end up, you know, losing my leg or anything like that? My first thought was football. Like, I'm losing the game that I so desperately loved for so many years. So uh, you you go to the hospital, um, and, and I'm sure that's you know I think I think it was it was it a ten hour surgery or something like that. So you come out of that surgery, and I'm sure it's extremely painful. What did the doctors tell you and your in your family at that point? Yeah, so I ended up going to one hospital, and they put my knee back into place, and then they realized there's no blood flow, and they have to transfer me to another hospital, and that took some period of time. Um, at that point, I was pretty just out of my mind on drugs. And so they got me to the hospital. And at this point, I have no idea what's going on. I, all I know is I'm being loaded into another ambulance, taken to another hospital. And it almost seemed like, just like the classic Hollywood, you see the, uh, the hallway lights of a hospital just like passing. And I'm just like, what is going on? And then I remember waking up from that 10-hour surgery and there's like a blanket over my right leg. And like, I see like things poking out under and I'm like, what? the hell and i like uncover the blanket and i see four rods in my legs and coming upwards and then two long bars holding my leg like in place and i have never seen anything like that and then i see that my calf is as big as my thigh and i see that there's two ginormous incisions on both sides of my leg and it's all wrapped up and i'm like what is happening like I thought they just like put my knee back in place and we're going home. And so I never really knew the severity of the severity of my injury until a couple of weeks into the hospital. I was kind of kept out of the loop in a sense, just because I think my, my mom and the doctors didn't want to like hit me with that right then and there. And so finally I just kind of said enough is enough. Tell me what's happening. And what was it that they told you? Yeah. So, uh, I'd go to physical therapy every single day and, I had no motor function. Like I couldn't, I mean, I realized that back in the first hospitals, I kept telling the nurses, like, I can't move my foot. I can't feel anything. I can't feel anything. And they were like, oh, it's just like, we need to put your knee back in place. So when they did that, I kind of thought like, okay, like I should be able to move it. And I woke up from the 10 hour surgery and still couldn't move it. And I was like, okay, like I don't understand what is happening. And then they explained it all. They explained that like I tore three of my ligaments, in my knee, and um, they explained the fasciotomies, which are the two incisions on both sides that they had to release the oxygen because there was no like blood flow. So they needed to get the blood flow back going. And then they told me that they put an artificial artery in my leg and to restore the blood flow. And they told me straight up that I was lucky to come out of that first surgery with my leg. And that, that was my first like awakening of how severe this is, is if I would have woken up from that first surgery without a leg, I don't know where I'd be today, to be honest, because I was lucky enough to kind of make this decision of do I want to keep it or do I want to get rid of it? And so if I would have woken up from that first surgery without a leg, I don't know if I would have been mentally stable enough to, to handle that in the right way and kind of come to terms with it. It, it was not long after this, this point, many miles away uh, in New Orleans, the Chicago Bears were playing the Saints. And the Bears tight end, Zach Miller, uh, was hurt on a play. And, and it was a, a eerily similar injury to your own. 
And I think it was your mom who saw his Instagram post. He was starting to, he was kind of keeping fans uh, updated on his progress. And she reached out to him through Instagram. So that kind of led to, to you guys building a connection and a relationship. Talk about that. I remember watching the game in the hospital, obviously being a Saints fan. If it's on TV, I'm going to take the opportunity to watch it. But I had physical therapy when Zach got hurt. So I didn't see the play itself. But my brother like texted me after the game and was like, did you see that Bears tight end? like his injury. I was like, no. And he sent me the still shot photo of his legs, like snapping back. And I kind of knew right then and there, like, Oh, that's kind of what my leg looked like at a certain point. And then when my mom reached out to him, I was back home and I was actually playing video games with my friends and I was like in bed and I heard my phone like ding. And I looked down and I was paused the game and I was reading it. And at the end, it like, or he obviously said like, this is Zach Miller. And then I kind of like started to freak out in a way just because like, I didn't really follow the bears, but just to have somebody in the NFL at his caliber kind of reach out to like a kid in California, like a 17 year old, 16 year old kid in California and kind of take that time to like, I thought it was just going to be like a few like text messages just that day. But then the relationship grew into something way more to where we're texting almost like every other day of kind of updates of like, what did you do in physical therapy? And ultimately that relationship turned into a competitive relationship of like, what did you do in physical therapy today? And he'd be like, Oh, I squatted and be like, go back to my physical therapist the next day and be like, I need to squat. And he's like, slow your roll. Like, where did this come from? And I'm just like, well, if he's squatting, I need to start squatting. And he's like, well, you guys aren't in the same boat. And I was like, I really do not care. Like if he's doing this, I need to do it. So it really turned into us just battling to see who could, who could get back the fastest and kind of emotionally we'd have, or sometimes we'd have like an emotional deep talk of like how this is playing on the mental. So, I mean, it was just as much as a physical push as it was a mental push to keep ourselves on the right track mentally. Was it one of those things? Because obviously it probably started out where he's, he's helping you and and trying to help you cope through this. But I imagine that that really turned in sort of a two-way street, right? Like kind of like you talked about, like you guys both helped each other through this process. Yeah. I mean, I really don't want to put words in his mouth. I mean, I know how much he helped me and I really hope he knows how much he helped me. And obviously like I, my injury was before his. So I was a little bit ahead of him with, with everything that was happening. Uh, but he went through a lot more to keep his leg. So, I mean, I really hope that I helped him in a way. I don't, I don't want to put words in his mouth in a say, but, um, yeah, I mean, I don't think he really knows how much he impacted my life. Just as much as like the opportunity to make the decision to have an amputation, I don't know where I would be with that. I also don't know where I'd be with, with without Zach. So talk about the day that the doctors approached you about considering amputation of your leg. Yeah, that was a, that was a tough day. Uh, it was about the fourth week in the hospital. And we always planned on if... We always planned on giving my nerves about a year and a half to, to regrow and reconnect to see if I have any motor function and let my wounds close and just kind of take it slow and see what happens. Like I'm young. We don't really want to rush into anything. And I remember my, my football team bought me an Xbox because I, I recently sold mine before I got hurt. And so they bought me an Xbox to have in the hospital and I had a whole setup. I, I felt bad. I was mooching off their Wi-Fi way too much. And uh, this doctor walks in while I'm playing, I think it was Call of Duty. And I'm not really paying attention. My mom was kind of talking to him and my mom's like, Alex, like put the game down. I was like, I don't think you understand mom. Like it's online. You can't really put the game down. And then I heard like the mom tone in her voice of Alex put the game down. And I was like, 
all right. So I like put the game down and he was calm, cool and collective and just so easily just smooth out of like out of his mouth. He looked at me and was like, we need you to consider amputation now. And I was like, whoa, 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 don't kind of just glazing over what you just said. Like, what do you mean? Like, I thought this was the plan. Like, we're going to give it a year, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, I hate to say it. Like, your nerves are never going to come back. You haven't had any, any twitch or anything at this point. Like, at this point, you should have something. And you have too much dead tissue. Like, we need you to consider it. And he's like, you can keep it. And he kind of went through, like, the whole process of, like, you can keep it, but blah, 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 blah. Like, but ultimately, he's like, I'm not going to make the decision for you. Like, your mom's not going to make the decision for you. Like, this is all on you. And then my mom kind of broke down. And I'm not really an emotional person. And my mom broke down, like, went out of the room. And I kind of just sat there and looked at my game. And I, like, put my headsets back on. He walked out. I just kept playing. And then not even 30 seconds later, I just remember, like, tears coming down my, mouth, uh, coming down my eyes. And I didn't really... I don't think I was ready at that moment to hear those words just because I'm a very structurally planned person. Like this, this needs to happen at this time, like very oriented in that way and to have that all shipwrecked within the matter of five minutes. I didn't really know how to process it at the time. And so, I mean, ultimately, like I, I think I took two days to make the decision and I kind of weighed out the pros and cons and I, I went along with it. I mean, can't really say much more than that. What was that two days like? I mean, I, I just I, I'm trying to put myself in, in that situation, being a high school kid, and you know, kind of in your mind, you have your whole life ahead of you, and you're indestructible, and now you're having to make the decision: Do I want to amputate my leg or not? Like what you said, you you weighed the pros and cons. Like what was that? What was that decision like? Like what what were some of the pros and cons, the things that you went through in your head to make that decision? Yeah, I mean, you said it perfectly. Like, I, I truly did think I was indestructible. Like, I hadn't had any injuries before this. I, I was living on cloud nine, never really thought I'd get hurt, never really planned on anything like this happening, of course. And I mean, throughout those two days, I remember my friends. Um, so I was in Redlands, which is like an hour and a half drive away from Temecula, since it was an away game. And my friends came down often to like visit me and just kind of check up after school and just hang out and kind of give me a sense of normalcy within my daily life. And they were supposed to come that night. And so after all that happened and my mom and I decompressed from that situation, uh, she asked me, like, do you still want your friends to come over? And I was like, yeah, like, I still want them to come over. And so they ended up coming. I took my best friend Cooper outside once everyone got there. And I kind of like told him. And I don't really know the response I was expecting coming from a 17-year-old that really hasn't faced any life decisions yet, especially one, one of that uh, magnitude. And I told him, and I remember he just looked at me and goes, damn. And I was like, do you have anything to say? Like any advice? And he's like, I don't, I don't, I don't know what to say. Like, I don't know what you expect me to say. And I don't know what I expected of him. And I kind of just said, like, I think I'm going to do it. And he goes, really? And I was like, yeah. And so I went in and I told the rest of our friend group. And I remember all of us just sitting around a table and we were just crying. And it was the weirdest scene for myself to look back on. Now you see like a group of 16 and 17 year olds just huddled around a table crying. And nobody really had any words. It was silent. We all just kind of like, it was like a morning of a death in a way. And I kind of like just had time to think to myself. Um, and it may, honestly, like looking, I was, I was mostly looking forward to my future of what's going to get me back up 
the fastest? What's re- recovery going to look like both ways? Like if I give this a year and nothing happens, how much time did I waste recovery wise? And then ultimately, like I looked at my future in my 30s. Like, what do I want that to look like? Do I want to be able to run around with my kids? Do I want to be able to go out and do stuff that I still want to, like I'm able to do before I got hurt? And I think amputation and prosthetics now gave me that best opportunity to still live an active life and live a life worth worth living. So the day comes for, of, of the amputation. Um, I'm sure you're extremely nervous and anxious. You wake up. And you probably, I'm just imagining, you probably have a moment where you lift up the sheets and you see that you no longer have a leg, right? Like, what was that that moment like for you? Yeah, I mean, there's times from when I made the decision to where the amputation actually came into place that I'm like, Alex, you do realize, like, they can't sew it back on after. And there was times where I went back and forth of, do I really want to do this? Do I really not? But ultimately, like, I made the decision. I knew it was the best option the best option. And I remember waking up from the amputation and obviously like I lifted up the sheets and I realized like it's gone. And I think that's when it really hit me. Like there's no going back. Like this is for the rest of my entire life. Like I have to learn how to adapt to this now. And I, I I think I struggled mostly with the what ifs in my life, whether it's what if I did give that football or what if I didn't make this decision? I mean, there's still times I think about it to this day where I wake up and like get out of bed and I have to like put a leg on and it's weird, but it's normal now. So I had to imagine that throughout all of this, and then as you get into rehab and you're learning to use your prosthetic, that it was really, really difficult not to slip into this uh, victim mentality, you know, and, and, and a, a lot of that would be understandable to an extent, right? Like, you know, why did this happen to me? You know, the, why this is so unfair. I mean, no one would blame you for feeling those those feelings. But you don't seem like a person who is, is bitter or angry or, or anything like that. So how did you keep yourself from kind of drifting off into that, into that mindset? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely times in the hospital and even when I got home that I was angry. It wasn't an emotion I could run from. It was something I kind of had to face head on and kind of deal with and get used to. Uh, I, I looked at it as I'm 16 years old and I have my whole life ahead of me and football is my life. And like, why does, why does that have to get taken away over everything? Like, especially an injury of this magnitude, like you hear so many football injuries of torn ACLs or a broken leg. Those are things you can come back from. And I had to realize that this is not the same as those. And I'm probably not going to be able to come back from this from a, from a football standpoint. Um, and it, I, I battled it internally many nights, countless nights, but ultimately I think it was mostly like my friends. Uh, I don't really think they know how much of a role they played in my mental health in a way and kind of keeping me on the right track of giving me that sense of normalcy and still just being able to go hang out with them. They'd pick me up, they'd come over to my house and we'd watch movies and, you know, do normal teenage stuff. I remember, uh, I was in a wheelchair and we went, it was during like Christmas time and we went, we went and looked at Christmas lights and just having like them push me around and kind of like being able to keep me in the loop of we're still young. We're still doing normal things. I think that that helped me out on another level. 
So you begin the the process of of rehab and learning to use your prosthetic. What was that like? Talk about that that experience and 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 you know how difficult that was learning to to really to to walk again. When I was getting fitted for my first prosthetic, I stayed down. My uh, prosthetist is down in San Diego, so it's about an hour drive from me, uh, from Temecula, and I stayed down there for three days straight in a hotel, uh, just trying to get fitted and kind of get walking. And it was weird at the time. Uh, I set myself back two months because I ended up falling at one of my friend's lacrosse games and reopening the amputation wound. So that kind of set me back. But then once I was able to get walking again, it, it honestly, like, I was able to pick it up abnormally fast. And I think that's just because I was young and I was athletic and I was able to, to adapt to the different feelings of like, okay, this is what it feels like to walk in a good way. Because I mean, there's they kind of teach you like, in order to not hurt yourself, you need to walk a certain way or run a certain way. And so I was able to pick up on that really fast. And so, I mean, I think it took me like a month where I was able to actually like feel comfortable walking. Okay. So then at this point, you're getting into your senior year. Is that correct? You're starting your senior year. I have started your senior year. Yeah. I'm just, uh, I think that was like over summer. Okay. So, yeah. Most people are, would be just concerned with walking, right? Like getting around, just doing everyday things, you know, walking from, from place to place, transitioning from, you know, a chair to standing up, things like that. But you had a lot more in mind uh, as far as yourself. When did the idea or, or the, the, I guess, the thought first enter your mind about trying to come back and play football again? Yeah, to be honest, that was never really in my my intentions for the longest time going through the recovery process. Uh, it wasn't until I was going to my physical therapist and he really pushed me to like get ahead of schedule and kind of be able to move around and be mobile and be agile within a prosthetic. And he'd always like joke around like, all right, we got to get ready for football season. We got to get ready for football season. And then as we progressed throughout um, uh, physical therapy, I started doing like agility work and icky shuffle and all that stuff and squatting. And he, I came in and he goes like, do you want to play football? And I like kind of laughed because we always made jokes about it. I didn't really, I didn't really take him serious at that point. And he goes, no, like I'm being serious. And I was like, well, yeah, like, of course I want to play football. And he goes, all right, then let's actually start training for that. So there'd be times where I missed practice at Linfield to go to physical therapy. And obviously coach Burns super understanding about it. And we just kind of started working on that, throwing football again. I think, I, I think I got, I think Coach Burns has a video. I went back uh, right after my amputation, after I got out of the hospital, and I started throwing the football with one of the alumni from there. And I was like on one leg, obviously, I didn't have my prosthetic at the time. So I was always trying to keep in the routine of just kind of keeping the game around me. But then once the game came to me and I realized, like, okay, I could actually play again. I think then my whole mentality completely shifted to an entire new goal that I really didn't think about was like, think was possible before that. Did you tell anybody? Did you tell your teammates, your friends, your parents, your mom that, that that's what this is what you wanted to do? Uh, I kept it a secret for as long as I could just because I think I didn't want to get my hopes up of telling other people and feeling obligated to, to do that. I think it was more of an internal goal. But I remember I was speaking at a breakfast for somebody in Temecula and Coach Burns was there. And then I told him and then our offensive coordinator was also there. And I, I told them both or one of the coaches, uh, I told them both that like, this is something I've been working for. And this is this is what I'm planning to do in the fall. 
So it gets to, uh, you, you, you finally are cleared by your doctor to play. And I believe that was homecoming week. Is that correct? I was senior, senior night. Or senior, I'm sorry, senior yeah. night. Uh, um, and, and so now you're cleared to play. What was that week like when you're, you're finally cleared? Did you go out to practice? Did you, uh, what was that like? Yeah. So I was still, um, I, I think I went to physical therapy once that week. Um, my mom told me my surgeon cleared me for my ACL wise. And we may have fabricated what my idea of going back and playing was. Uh, we kind of told him it was just for one snap and I definitely wasn't getting hit. So he kind of took it as, Oh, like a charity snap of like the other team knows and you're definitely not going to get hit. So he cleared me and then, um, my physical therapist cleared me and then I had to go through, uh, our training staff's recovery back from like, you know, injury and kind of show that I was mobile enough to play at a physical level. And then I jumped into practice and played like walkthroughs and all that stuff. Um, it was nerve wracking. I think it was a surreal moment at like that entire week, but I don't, I don't think it hit me until I actually stepped on the field. Cause it was still kind of like in my imagination in a way. I had to imagine that it was surreal, like being in the locker room, you know, um, a year over a year removed from that injury to now being in that locker room in that uniform. I mean, I think that I, I don't know if this is actually how it happened, but in the in the video that was on ESPN, you you actually take your frame jersey off the wall and get it out of the glass to put it back on. I mean, I just can't imagine what that was like to where now you're in the the huddle with those guys. And you said, you know, you didn't want a charity play. You didn't want to go out there and everybody take a knee and you, you know, whatever. Like, like you wanted to actually get in and and, and play in a meaningful moment in the game. So talk about when you went in the game and and what what happened once you got in the game. Yeah, I think that's something with uh, that Coach Burns really struggled with. I mean, this was just as just as hard on him as it was for me. And when I told him that I didn't want a charity snap, he kind of looked at me like I was crazy. And me and him had a, a meaningful conversation of, of why I, I thought I deserved um, a real opportunity to play. Um, and I ultimately told him that I think it's just my competitive nature. Like, I don't want anything handed to me. I don't want this to seem fake. Um, I, didn't want, I didn't want that pity applause to be, to be upon me in that moment. I think if I, if I deserved an applause, then it's going to have to be for a good reason. Um, ultimately just being able to step on the field was, was a blessing, but to be able to, to, like you said, play in a meaningful way, um, that that's something that I needed to do for myself. I didn't, I didn't want to look back on it and say, I didn't give it my all in a way. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it and it is true. I, I did have it in a glass frame. I kind of figured I wasn't gonna play again. So it was all hung up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so you go in or you get the play call. Now, what was the play call? Do you remember? Yeah, so uh, I kind of <laughs> he called the play, and I, I said, "Can we actually run this?" And he said, "Oh, it's your play. Like, go ahead." And I remember going onto the field and hearing like the announcer say, "Like, now coming in the quarterback, Alex Ruiz." And then I it was hard for me to even get the play call out of my mouth, just because I had to take a step back and just soak in the moment and realize like this is actually happening. And um, it was Lions for Joker, Iowa East, Hitch and Goes. And I already like been standing on the sideline and watching the corners. So I knew like where I wanted to go with the ball in a sense. Um, 
and I knew it was going to work. I don't know why. I just knew it was going to work. And then just saying, I knew as soon as I, I dropped back and I let the ball go, it wasn't the prettiest throw. I will admit that. It wasn't. I, I, I kind of wanted to redo, but ultimately, like, it was a catch. It was a touchdown. And then I think all the emotions just kind of hit me at once of, like, my final play as a football player isn't me laying on the field on my back and tears coming down my face. My visor all foggy. and just in pain and agony. Instead, it was something that I was able to to overcome and have that moment with my teammates of like showing everybody else like it doesn't matter. Um, I think all of it just kind of hit me at once and I obviously was choked up. Yeah, it's an unbelievable story and you kind of glaze over it and, and I know you've, you've relived it and maybe it's become a little bit old hat for you, but okay, like that's, that's if, if, if someone came and pitched that as a movie idea, like, that's almost too perfect to even to be believable um, because I'm just thinking, and I'm sure this had to be in your mind, like that could have gone horribly wrong, right? Like you could have gotten the ball and fumbled a snap and, you know, you're kicking the ball around and you fall over and it's just like, oh no, you know, um, because it's not like you're just taking the ball and handing it off to the running back and watching him, watching him go, or you're, you're kneeling the ball out to close out the game. Like this is about where you had to pump fake it. You have to read the corner. Then you have to make a throw. Like there's so many variables here that could have gone wrong, yet it went perfectly. Yeah, and I think that was in the back of my mind, like don't fumble the snap, don't fumble the snap, or the center better not snap this over my head. But I mean, ultimately, like it, it did all come together, and I, I think that's in somebody's hands upstairs. I don't, I don't think, um, I don't think it would have happened if it wasn't for him. But um, yeah, I mean. It was definitely a moment I'll never forget. That's for sure. And I'm glad I was able to share it with, with my friends and family and, and my teammates. We didn't actually cover this or talk about this early in the conversation, but I know that, you know, going into your junior year, you had started to get some interest and draw some interest from, from colleges. And, you know, we're, we're obviously thinking about playing quarterback at the next level. What are your, your goals and your aspirations now? Yeah, so I mean, my I got my entire life was was to give back to my parents. Was to um, they made the sacrifice of putting me through uh, six years of private school, and it was no easy task for them. And and they they did a lot for me in that sense. So I mean, my main goal wasn't wasn't to go to the NFL. It was it was to go to a school that wanted me to play football for them and get school paid for, so they didn't have to worry about it. And so. Obviously, after everything happened, I was a little distraught with my plan of, in life of I'm supposed to be going playing football somewhere. I don't really know where I want to go. Like I haven't looked at um, many other schools. And then when my senior year came along and uh, I had to start applying for schools, I, I just kind of threw around like, oh, maybe the here would be good. Maybe here would be good. I was looking at the University of Washington, NAU, uh, Western Washington. And then a few other schools. And then I remember walking into uh, the football room and Coach Burns was like, how would you like to go to USC? And I, I laughed in his face. I laughed in his face. Because I mean, I wasn't, I was a good student. wasn't the best student. I, you know, like you get caught up and I'm an athlete. I can kind of do whatever I want. I don't have to worry about like getting a 4.0, blah, blah, blah. But looking back on it, it's a good idea. Um, and I remember laughing in his face and he's like, I'm, I'm serious. And I was like, there's no way like I get in there. Like, why would I even apply? I don't want to waste my time. I don't want to like have that feeling of rejection, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, just apply. 
So I applied and they gave me the opportunity. They gave me a deferred acceptance. So practically they said, go somewhere else for a year, uh, get a certain GPA, and then you're guaranteed acceptance for the next year. So I ended up going to a junior college, got the GPA, and I ended up here. And I, I'm completely blessed to be in the situation. I never thought I'd be at this this university. I never really thought I had a chance to be at this university. And it's it's still surreal to this moment when I wake up and see campus right across the street. And so now I'm just kind of focusing on getting getting my degree in journalism, focusing on on the sports aspect of it, and just kind of getting staying connected with the sports world because I I mean it's something that I'll always have a passion for. And so I really just want to get into sports journalism and then ultimately try to get into sports commentary and see where that takes me. Um, so yeah, I mean I'm just I'm excited. I'm I'm glad to be here. I'm I'm blessed to be here. Throughout all this process, you know, you mentioned earlier as as a kid, you were a huge fan of Drew Brees. In fact, that's you wore his number, uh, number nine, and 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 then you also, uh, of course, became you know friends with with Zach Miller, and you actually got an opportunity to meet meet both of those guys. Talk about that experience uh, and what it was like to meet both of those guys. Yeah, so <laughs> meeting Zach in person, uh, we've always just like Facetime, texted, called. Did all that never really got to meet him in person and then he surprised me at uh, the game that i came back for and i think that was the one time espn had to bleep me out just because i facetimed him before the game started and he was like in this pitch black room and we just kind of talked and he said good luck like do your thing and then he was actually in a limo on the way to a game to the game and so seeing him and being able to talk to him um on the sideline and just for him to physically see how far that I've come, it, it was it was a blessing, and just having the words that he encouraged me with of not really not really giving up and just kind of him being appreciative of me to seeing my grit and my grind of not letting anything hold me back, and then meeting Drew was a completely different scenario. Um, you never you never thinking you never think you'll have the chance to meet your childhood hero, and a lot of people say like you don't want to meet your childhood hero because they might not live up to who they, who you think they are. But after meeting him and having conversations with him multiple times and him inviting me out to games and uh, training camp with the Chargers and all that, and just seeing how much he truly cared and having an honest conversation with him, you realize that they, they may be athletes, but they're not, they're not really anything special from a human aspect. Yeah. And of course now, uh, Drew Brees is retired and he's going to get into broadcasting. So maybe you and him could team up and, and do some broadcasting gigs. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> Focus on getting my degree first. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, so Alex, how, how would you say you're different as a person? Like, how, is this, how has this experience changed you as a person? Yeah, I mean, looking back on it now, um, I'm, I'm really grateful that this happened at a young age. I think if this would have happened in my, in my 30s somehow or in my even late 20s, uh, you already kind of find out where your life is headed and you, you have a long-term plan of goals and aspirations and careers. But being so young and not really having all that figured out yet, I was extremely grateful that I was able to make the decision first and foremost, and then being able to adapt so fast and uh, rearrange my life as quick, quickly as I possibly can. Um, but ultimately, like, I think it really helped me mature at a young age to be able to make a life decision. So uh, that would alter my life in such a great way. I think I was very grateful that I was able to, to make that decision and feel comfortable with that decision. And it, it taught me a lot of life lessons 
uh, about being an adult and being a man and kind of owning up to your decisions and realizing you can't go back um, on your word. And then I think it just really helped me to realize that life, life goes on after no matter like what tragedy you face, you still, you still wake up the next day and you have an opportunity to make the best of it. What advice would you give to, let's say there's, there's a high school kid listening to this who is uh, going through some uh, pretty significant adversity in their lives, or maybe has gone through some, um, what advice would you give them? I mean, for me, the worst thing that I had to face was, or the, the best thing that I was able to see in myself was that I'm not just an athlete. I think we get so caught up and I'm just a football player. I'm just an athlete or I'm just anything. And I think we have so many great qualities in each and every one of us that we don't see until something happens and you have to, you have to adapt and come up with a new plan. If I had to give any advice, I think you're, the circle of people you surround yourself completely shape who you are. And I think for me, that was the biggest thing of having Zach, have, just having a variety of people, age range, maturity wise, and just thought process wise of, I have my high school friends. I have these role models that I look up to and Drew, and then I have these friends and Zach, and then I have my family. And I mean, a lot of people kind of look at me or they'll say to me, like, I can't imagine what you've been through. Like, I feel so sorry for you, blah, blah, blah. But I look at it as like, wait, I like say you're say you're one of your family members died, your grandpa, your mom, your dad. Like, I can't imagine what that feels like. So I don't put myself on a pedestal. I don't put my injury on a pedestal. And I don't look at it as, oh, like mine is bigger than yours. Like, no, we all go through things in life that we're we're not ready to face. But ultimately, like I think surrounding yourself around the, the best piece people possible and then I haven't even mentioned like Coach Burns and I feel sorry that I'm not mentioning him because without him, I definitely would not be anywhere in life. Um, but just seeing him or just having these different variety of people helps mold me and bring me up and uplift me and realize that like I can still be successful in life and my life did not end on a football field. Like I'm pursuing something that I love. I still have a passion for sports. There's different outlets to where I can still stay involved in these things that I love. And I've found so many other things that I love throughout this entire thing. And I think without, or if I didn't get hurt, I wouldn't realize that I love these things. You're also, uh, you know, speaking to a lot of coaches who are listening to this podcast. If you could give advice to coaches who are helping these, these guys, you know, through these difficult situations or have a chance to be uh, mentors to them and kind of help them along, you know, like coach Burns was for you and is for you, what advice would you give to those coaches? Yeah. I mean, I don't even look at Coach Burns as a coach anymore. I think he's more of he's more family. Uh, we had a rough relationship in high school just because he pushed me so much that I didn't see how much he cared. And it didn't take me until I was older to realize that. Um, there was times where he'd chew me out in front of the entire team, uh, just kind of embarrass me in a way. And I kind of, you know, said said things in my head in my head, but didn't verbally express them, which I'm very glad I didn't. Um, and then he also like had me come into his office and during lunch and watch game film. And I wasn't even a starting quarterback at the time, but he still like groomed me to, to be the best. Cause I think he saw the potential in me. And then when it came for me to be the starting quarterback, I had all this knowledge that he was able to instill in me that he trusted me to make the right decisions on the field. And 
I mean, he'll say this, like I had a lot of freedom in the huddle when it came to decision-making on plays and certain stuff like that. But I mean, oftentimes coaches are just looked at as coaches. Like I just have to spend a few hours with them a day and then I got to go home, blah, blah, blah. But coach Burns invited me to his house, invited me like to be around his fa- his family, his extended family, and just kind of have that real relationship with him. And he was able to instill in me a sense of maturity that I never would have imagined just hearing him be on the phone call or on phone calls with coaches from colleges, NFLs, and just hearing how much he knows about the game made me respect him a lot more. Not that I didn't respect it before, but you're able to see it firsthand. So when it comes to that, just realize like you're not a coach, you're a mentor to each and every single one of us or player, I should say. But, um, and just kind of realizing like you have that time with them make the most of it and i mean it's hard for a lot of kids to see like especially like our generation or my generation i should say like we're stubborn we don't want to hear anything like you're not my parent like don't tell me what to do blah blah blah. like i think that's the hardest thing that i still talk to coach burns about the things that he's struggling back at high school or with the high school kids now and it's tough to hear because they don't know what he knows like they think like oh you're just a high school coach and it's like you're lucky to have this man like in my I've told him many times like you should not be here what are you doing here like you're wasting your time but ultimately like he's like I care about these kids and I want the best for them and I want to help them in life and I think that's the biggest thing that I take away from coach Burns from a maturity aspect of how much he cares about his kids yeah that's awesome it's and it's it's uh immediately apparent when talking to coach Burns that he is that kind of coach who invests in his kids and pours into them and uh and so I know he thinks a lot of you and and you're right. Uh, you know, we can sometimes get caught up in just maybe the X's and O's or the end product, but you know, our our, our impact uh, on you guys is some is is one that maybe we may not be able to see the results uh, immediately, and we may not ever see the results. You know, we coach these kids and they move on, and we never know the impact that we have. But but obviously, uh, that work is usually not in vain, and that at some point, those those messages and those lessons that we try to to get across are going to come through. Well. Uh, Alex, man, it's 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 such an unbelievable story, and and I, I'm just so appreciative of you coming on and uh, sharing with us, and just want to wish you the best of luck, and and know that that you have a bright future ahead of you, and we're all looking forward to seeing what that future holds for you. So thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate Alex and his willingness to share his story with us today. Yeah, you know, I, I was really impressed with his maturity, his his attitude concerning his injury. And the life changes that have, have come along with that. You know, he, he isn't a person who's looking for pity. He, he's not bitter. Uh, he's making the most out of a difficult situation with, you know, with a wisdom that, that defies his youth. So I have a ton of respect for him because of that and, and hope you enjoyed our conversation today and, and that you can walk away from it feeling inspired and encouraged uh, by Alex's story today. If you'd like to send Alex an email, you can do so. Uh, his email address is in today's show notes. Uh, he is on Twitter, although he's not very active, but you can also find that uh, in today's show notes as well. Uh, let him know you heard him here on KYPD and that, that uh, you really appreciated him sharing his story. You can also let us know about what you thought about Alex's story or any of our other episodes by leaving us a review. And if you like the podcast, give us a five-star rating and tell your friends about us. Our audience is growing each week, and that is due in large part to you guys. So thanks for listening. With Easter being this Sunday, our quote of the day 
comes from the Bible, specifically the book of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 5 and 6. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. And with that, we will close out this episode of KYPD. And now we look ahead to episode 100. That's right. Next week, we will put out our 100th episode. That's crazy. And for that one, we're bringing back a few of our, our past guests to, to talk some football, tell some stories. And so that one is going to be really, really fun. Uh, so subscribe now and join us back here next week for episode 100. Uh, we'll start the celebration for that later on this week with some merchandise giveaways and some other cool stuff. So keep an eye on our Twitter feed this week for that. Until then, have a great week and a great Easter weekend with your family. And whether you're going to church, uh, you're hunting Easter eggs, manning the grill, or all the above, my man Alex has one last thing he wants you to remember. This is Alex Ruiz. Keep your pads down. 